and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jay. I'm editor of TheEaglesBeak.com, a Palace fan site by fans for fans. I also write a column in a local newspaper to call an advertiser, and I also do a bit, a bit of writing for Stalksport as well, so you can check them out at Stalksport.com. Hello, I'm Steve. I'm an Arsenal fan, and uh, you can find me at findpubsport.com, which is a website which tells you where to find pub sport. Pretty self-explanatory, really. Yep, very well named. Um, I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. If you'd like to reach me, I'm on Twitter at Kevroff, and you can find my ramblings on blog.playtaga.com and theeaglesbeak.com and EPL Index. And this podcast and the FPL Roundtable podcast, which we just started, so be sure to try to give that a listen. Alright, up first we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. Now, Jay, you were away on vacation while all of the good things have happened. Now you're back <laughs> after a defeat to Arsenal. Let's kind of go through that whole emotional journey with you. And how have you felt about Crystal Palace's early season results? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, the kickoff with a Norwich game, opening game of the season, uh, a tough trip away to a, a, a promoted side. Obviously, they they've only been missing for a season, but they've uh, done well to to return. It's a you know it's a tough old gig the championship, uh, and it's a fair play on them for coming back first time. But you know, a trip away to a new team that obviously want to get off uh, got off, get off to a good start, and um, it, it was it was a decent game. I, I have to say that the referee did. Uh, to give us a couple of calls in our favour, which um, is something we're not we're not really used to. Um, it was quite even first half. I think uh, we we started with a debutant of Kabai in the middle, which was uh, which was good to see him playing. And also the big surprise was um, Alex McCarthy started in goal for us. Sproni's out injured for six weeks, so um, we kind of most of us expected to see Hennessy start in that one uh, because he's been at the club longer. And obviously Hennessy's a recent signing; he played a few pre-season games. Um, but I think Pardew's made a statement there and kind of said that, you know, he's my signing uh, and, and, and he starts. It'd be interesting to see what happens when Speroni comes back. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was an excellent result for us in the end. Um, you know, we, we uh, you know, it's a 3-1 result, but I think we count ourselves lucky that there was an overhead kick from Cameron Jerome, which was called... Um, well, it was, it, it was um, not, not given, actually. And, and little, what, what happened was, I think... The media over here kind of compared it to a very similar goal last season in uh, where Pella scored against QPR. Um, and I think I, I made the point um, at that weekend in that they're quite different in the fact that Corker didn't actually put his head in uh, where um, Pella's foot was up. And, and I kind of felt that's why that wasn't given. But I, a bit cheeky, perhaps, but I know Ward wasn't going to get there. But he did put his head in on the challenge with a foot up. And, and to be fair, a lot of the times, those sort of challenges, foot up like that, anywhere else on the pitch, would be given as a free kick. So, you know, swings around. I'd have felt hard done by if it was against Palace, for sure. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a shame for Norwich because they had a good spell um, and, and they were putting pressure on. Um, but I think the, the big thing for us was that we showed a bit of class after that. And, you know, and Kabaya scored on his debut, which was great to see. But I think, you know, from that bit of a scare... Um, they could have been given a penalty. I, I think uh, I think Basson went down quite easily in the area. Uh, if he hadn't have thrown himself to the floor, it might have been you know a question for the for the referee to answer. Um, but I, I was impressed with the way that we 
uh, we, you know, we got the result through through a touch of class and uh, and kind of getting the ball on the floor and saying, right, you know, that was a scare for us. Let's let's push on and win this. And, and we did that. And great start of season with three points. Uh, and then we move on to uh, the Arsenal game on Sunday, which is uh, which is live on TV over here. And for me, I think I've mentioned it to a few people in that you know you know we've come up into Premier League as our third season, but that group of teams now has diminished in the, you know what I class as a, a kind of freebie game. So for me, the top four teams are kind of freebie games, even for a team like Palace. Big thing for me is that we're competing against these teams. Uh, we're not conceding an awful lot of possession to them now in in terms of st- statistics. Um, uh, and we're not being soundly beaten by them. It's another 2-1 defeat against Arsenal, which seems to be a common uh, common result uh, for us. But I think we performed well. We started well. Uh, we started with a very attacking lineup. I have to say it was a big call by Pardew to start that way um, and to try and get at Arsenal, which I think, you know, worked for some of the game. You know, we look quite good on occasions. I mean, a lot of fans were probably find it difficult to name such players as Zaha, Balassi, Punchin and Kabai all in the same side. Um, you know, it's a very attacking lineup, and and um, you know we we look good on occasions. I think we got a, f- a few players out there which uh, not quite up to speed. Balassi didn't have a full preseason; he was taken off at half time. I think a lot of that change was to do with the fact that Joel Ward was being um, utterly beaten by Alexis Sanchez, and you know he's one of the best players in the world. And you know, a lot of fans have been saying, you know, Joel Ward was, you know, he's been great for us for a couple of years, but he had a, he had a bad game. But you know, players do have bad games here and there, and he's facing one of the top players in the world. I think he was unlucky with the first goal because I think his first block kind of come off his knee and rebounded straight to Sanchez, and you know it went wide, and uh, and the goal was scored from there. But you know Giroud took a goal well, but I think we came back well. Joe Ward got the goal back actually, which was great to see. He scored a very similar goal against QPR last season, kind of arrowed into the bottom corner. Um, whether Czech could have done a bit more, but uh, you know it kind of came from distance and through through some players. But that was kind of a well worked goal between a few players. Punchin floated the ball over uh, to Balassi, knocked it down to Wickham, and it dropped to to Ward who who, who scored. Um, I, I, th- I think again Ward was probably at fault for the for the for the winner really for Arsenal in that um, he didn't really get off the floor. Sanchez beat him to the header. Unfortunately, Delaney put it in the back of net. But to be fair, you know it, I come away from the ground not feeling that we'd lost the game. I I, I felt that we performed well against the top side and to be fair I think I mentioned to Steve the other day that you know the fact that you know if, if Arsenal won their first game of the season against West Ham I, I'd have felt more confident that we could have got something out of that game um, whereas I you know after losing to West Ham in the first game as Arsenal did I kind of felt that you know they wouldn't be losing the second game you know of the season um, and, and they did show a bit of class during the game you know put their foot on the ball when they went one up and, and the same again at 2-1 um, I think the talking point was Coquelin could have been sent off. There were six individual fouls, I think I counted, uh, where he could have got two yellow cards for you know, any of those six, really. Uh, he got one book in and was substituted. And I think the referee, Lee Mason, has been demoted for next week. So, it, it, you know, the, the, the FA can actually, you know, take that action and, and, and penalise the referee, but it doesn't really make any difference when it you know, didn't actually happen in the game kind of thing. So, you know, I think the first booking for him was perhaps harsh, but that, I think that was, you know, a multitude of fouls really for, for that book. It wasn't just that one foul that it got booked for. Um, and then quite soon after that, I think MacArthur got uh, booked for a, um, uh, for some language to the referee, I believe, after a foul, which was kind of his first misdemeanor in the game, really. So that kind of got the fans backed up a little bit. But, you know, Wenger was clever enough to decide that, you know, I think... Uh, um, your big German defender made a few signals to the bench to to say it's time to get Coquelin off, which is, which is what happened. And you kind of saw the game out, but seeing Arsenal kind of taking the ball into the corners kind of made us feel like you know we we 
yeah, we did worry them. You know, it's we we did compete. So I, I'm not too despondent. We've got you know we've we we've got three points at first game, uh, first two games out of the way. We face Villa this weekend, uh, which for me is a winnable game. Um, we own them one from last season because they came to our place and and scored. Uh, scored an early goal and kind of uh, took went away with that win. So I'm hoping that we will see a very different game this time around. And you know, if we're as attacking as uh, as we were against Arsenal, I, I see no reason why we can't get a result in that one. And Steve, you were obviously on the other side of that match. Do you agree with everything that happened and what else has been going on over at Arsenal? Dealing with the match first of all. Funnily enough, uh, Jay and I have already discussed it at length this week because he came on the Fine Pub Sport podcast, which has now gone to the. Uh, Great podcast, Place in the Sky, thanks to a, <laughs> thanks to a, 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 a corrupted file when I was trying to put it together this afternoon, so that won't see the light of day, unfortunately. But um, I do agree, it was a really good game. Um, I was worried kind of the opposite way round to jail. I thought because we'd lost that opening game, it made me more nervous for the second one because I thought it would put the pressure on Arsenal to win. We'd need a win, and obviously it's early days, but if we'd have lost the second match particularly with City and United, the Manchester sides, going on and getting all six points. Liverpool as well. Or am I wrong about Liverpool? Not quite sure. Um, but essentially, you can't win the league in the first month of the season, but you can certainly fall a long way behind the pace. Um, and I was a bit worried that, that could happen, especially away against a Crystal Palace team, who I said to Jay the other day, look very good this season. Um, and I'll be keeping a very sharp eye on them. Uh, although, since I did say that to you the other day, Jay, about ha- having Crystal Palace as kind of one of the other teams I keep an eye on, mm. another Palace supporter has been horrifically rude to me online. So, uh, really? so although, I will, <laughs> although I will be hoping for a win, I won't be too disappointed as and when uh, you do drop points. Uh, no offence to you personally. No. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, so we both went into that game a bit pessimistic and... and it was a good match. It was a good football match. It was a good competitive game. With the exception of Coquelin, I don't think there was too much needle in it. Um, it was two teams who wanted to get the ball down and play football. And even in the case of Coquelin, I don't think he's a particularly, generally, he, he plays aggressively. But I don't think he, and Wenger made the point after the game as well, I don't think he goes in to hurt people or anything like that. He goes to the ball. It's just sometimes he um, he misjudges it. And that's fair enough. I think you are probably right, Jay. Um, we got away with it in terms of not having him sent off because by the totting up progress, uh, process, if not by um, factors of aggression or, or bad challenges, then I've seen it. I've seen it happen where p- people will get sent off. Um, and I'm not a fan, uh, although I'm not a fan of this idea that now once a player gets booked, particularly if they're in a defensive position, that they have to then walk on a tightrope for the whole rest of the match. Mm. Um, and that, obviously, in this case, I'm going to obviously say that because it was an Arsenal player, but I also don't like to see it when our, team, or when our supporters get on the back of the referee about mm. uh, persistent fouling in the other team. Because I think totting up and it is what totting up is, and that's how the rules go now. But personally, I think it should be for two yellow card tackles. Mm. Uh, that's how it should go. Um Persist, unless the persistent fouling is obviously cynical, uh, which I'm not sure you could argue of Coquelin the other day. But with the totting up rules as they are, I agree Coquelin could well have gone and it was a good time to take him off. Bit of a surprising substitution though, because we didn't bring Arteta on, who you'd have thought would have been his his natural replacement. Um, 
And it seemed for a little while that we were going more attacking at that point. Mm. Um, you made the point about uh, Alexis Sanchez as well. He he had a couple of very good chances very early on, uh, which I think, particularly one breakaway from one of your corners, Jay, I don't know if you remember, but yeah, uh, <clears throat> he was near enough clean through and he mm. slightly miscontrolled it. Mm. And I think... And Alexis Sanchez, who had done a full pre-season and was at the top of his game, mm. would have buried that. But um, hopefully, another week of training for Liverpool this coming Monday. Um, uh, and uh, he'll be a little bit sharper. But yeah, it was a good game. And on the balance of how it all, all went, I think we had almost twice as many chances as Palace over the course of the game. Twice as many shots on goal, etc. But there's no saying how that would have changed if Coquelin had have gone off. So... A fair result, arguably, but you could also understand why uh, why Palace could feel a bit aggrieved as well. Um, other than that, other than that match, very little has been going on apart from the usual uh, rumour mongering uh, in about us wanting to buy A, B, or C players. But there's no real point talking about that until it happens because we've been linked with Benzema, for example, for the last five years, and obviously we haven't signed him. So. Um, we've linked, been linked with, um, with uh, well, I think you talked about it last week with Dan, uh, my fellow Arsenal fan, about uh, Greg, as he called him, the Polish. Greg, yes, uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Greg, so I should have said. Yes, I'm sure you Yeah, so, I but again, can't see that happening. Um, we'll just have to wait and see. We've, it's only a few days left until the end of the uh, transfer window, but... Very little news other than uh, other than the fact that we won a match and we've got another one coming up on Monday. You mentioned you've been linked with Benzema for the last five years. We've been linked with Wickham yeah. for the last five years. and, and we then finally, finally got him. We're about to sign Damio then. Oh, maybe it's the season. Maybe it's the season. <laughs> Long-term links are happening this summer. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yep, we're getting Damio and Moutinho. It'll be great. <laughs> All right. Um, are you not having though? <laughs> I... This is a genuine question. If we walked in with twenty million, is he a Tottenham player? Um, I would say yes. Hmm. I'm not I sure if we would, no. but yeah, no, that, that seems to no. be. I, I mean, I mean, for me, that money is perhaps even too much for Palace to turn down. Sounds a bit silly with the way we've been spending money, but that would cover more than anything we've spent this summer. Uh, right. Well, I would pretty much match anything we've spent this summer. So, you know, a club like us has to cl- cut its cloth accordingly. And I think, you know, for a player which is still erratic, um, but I see is exciting, no doubt about that. Um, but I think if he came in with a 20 million bid, I would expect to see him go, however sad I may feel about that. Hmm. All right, well, we'll get more into to stuff like that in the topics, which are some listener questions. But... Uh, from there, for Tottenham, um, I'm going to pick up with the fallout from the Stoke match, where many, including myself on this very podcast, uh, kind of pointed out Lamela's failings and how Juventus had come in with a bid, and it, it seemed like that could happen very quickly. Uh, but apparently, Poch has decided that Lamela is going to stay at the club, um, saying, Eric is part of my plans, we need him to show his real quality, and we hope that this is the season he really shows it. Um... So I guess he, he's sticking around. Ericsson also was rumored to, to make the move there, but it's very, very unlikely as well as he's pretty much the, the key to our team at the moment. Uh, other news, Clinton and G has yet to get his work permit approved, which may mean he'll be unavailable for the match this Saturday. Um, a lot of Tottenham fans hoping to see him soon. We could very much use his pace. 
immediately, if not sooner, but that might not be able to happen. Uh, and further right-wing issues, Lamela G and now Townsend, uh, whose shoulder finally healed, but he's now picked up a knock on his ankle. Uh, so it looks like he'll be out as well. Um, so Musa Dembele looks like he's going to be a right-winger for the near future unless somebody else is brought in. Uh, <laughs> players that are being talked about being brought in, uh, Pochettino confirmed that we're chasing several attacking options. Uh, I think the first one that we haven't heard uh, build-up for that randomly came out is Alexander Kokorin's agent at Dinamo Moskva uh, said that we were interested in him, and that would be the first player that actually fits that the media guys aren't even close comment that Poch made a while ago about the striker we're looking at. Whether or not that's the case, only time will tell. That's an agent talking about his player. Another one like that, a player named Steven Lukumi, maybe, um, is a Colombian U20 striker and or winger. Again, mentioned by his agent that, that a deal's almost done and it would be 2.1 million pounds and he would stay at his club, America de Cali. Gonna have to forgive all these pronunciations. Uh, on loan move, and then move to Portugal when their season is over, which would just be more stockpiling of young talent like we did with Della Ali in January. Um, the Berahino deal uh, looks maybe like it could actually happen. Uh, they want Federico Fazio, and we've now said that Fazio would have to be involved in a deal for Berahino. Uh, whether or not it actually happens, I still have some doubts, but I do think it's more likely than less likely, but maybe at 51% to 49 uh, but that would obviously be a very interesting uh, signing for us as we'd be spending a, a large amount of money on who would basically be a backup striker or right winger, which is probably not where he would want to uh, start. We just mentioned Balassi. I don't really think it's going to happen, but we've just mentioned the price point. $20 million probably gets him. Uh, we've been putting in a lot of work on a deal for Sven Bender this whole summer, and they're losing 3-0 as we're recording this. Um, and it seems like that might be falling through at the last minute, or maybe it was never going, but we, we tried a lot. Uh, but it looks like maybe now that won't happen, and we've turned our eyes to Sebastian Rode, or Rode, or Rode, not really sure on that either. Um, but young defensive midfielder, kind of fits everything we're doing. Wouldn't be stunned if that happened, unless Bayern really see him as a kind of a long-term part for their future. Uh, but all in all, those are all the things that actually might have some likes to them. Random speculation time includes Victor Wanyama from Southampton, who I doubt would even pick up a phone call from Daniel Levy at this point. Uh, Victor Moses from Chelsea, which might actually be able to happen now that they have Pedro in. They already have Quadrado. They already have Willian. I don't see him getting a game at all. I think that would be interesting for fantasy purposes. I think he'd have more value at a club like Southampton. For real-life football, I think he could do a job at Tottenham. Charlie Austin, because he's everybody's answer for who's going to be our backup striker. And Andre Yarmolenko, who allegedly just uh, agreed personal terms with Everton, but we've been linked with throughout the summer. So those are all the random ones that I very much doubt. The other ones I only kind of doubt. Uh, but we're running out of time very quickly. Uh, we only have two weeks left. And fortunately, I will either lose my mind or maybe stay sane because I'll be away on a friend's um, bachelor party uh, the next next weekend. So I'll be away from all kind of news as everything gets even worse. But um, hopefully, hopefully it'll be uh, me coming back to finding out that we've signed some very excellent players. And that leads us very neatly into the first listener question, which we're going to be doing as the topic today. Uh, the first question we have in is brought to us by at Coys underscore U underscore S who asks, do we believe that Tottenham can make the top four considering Manchester United and Chelsea look a bit weaker this season? Yeah, 
Interesting question. Um, personally, I think Chelsea and United have, have strengthened far more than than Spurs have this summer and, and leading into the end of the, the transfer window. I think they've strengthened in areas. I mean, Manchester United have just gone a bit mad, haven't they, and, and signed uh, an awful lot of players, other than Pedro, of course, who uh, has ended up at Chelsea. But, you know, both of those teams have um, arguably improved on what they already had. Um, uh, I say arguably, I mean, fans of those clubs could probably say more uh, about that than I can and, and the proof's in the pudding as the season goes on but um, for me I'm still to be convinced that Tottenham have done enough business in the transfer window I still feel there's a real um, hangover from the, the sale of Bale I, I really do because I think the fact that Tottenham went out and spent the majority if not all of that money um, from the Bale or the sale of Bale that rhymes. Um, the bail sale. Yeah, the bail sale. Yeah, to, to, you know, to literally bring in a whole new team of players, which, um, well, I mean, you'll probably agree with me that they just didn't, they didn't gel. Um, mm. Whether that was too much too soon or, or, or whether that, you know, I, I, I just can't put my finger on it, but I just, we did something very similar when we returned to the Premier League in that we had a mad panic that summer. And I think we brought in about 14 players over the course of two weeks. And while a couple of those worked out for us, and, and thankfully our, our, our transfer um, approach has been a lot better since then, um, you know, it just didn't work. You know, bringing in that many players into, into a squad and trying to name that number of players, 25 squad for the Premier League, some players which arguably may well have been better in that squad didn't quite make it and vice versa and trying to gel all those players at the same time. We are talking di- different levels of quality, but I, I think Tottenham are still in that hangover period and it's still hanging over their heads a little bit in that they're still trying to get away from um, you know the amount of players that they that they that they brought in. I you know I, I may be pleasantly surprised because obviously you know Harry Kane keeping him this summer, um, considering that he was uh, rumored to be going to United, I, I would call that you know um, you know a, you know a good deal to keep him to be honest. Although you know there is a question mark about you know he played in the Euros under twenty one Euros in the summer spent a lot of time playing in friendlies for you right up to the season started. So has he had that break? You know, could it affect him this summer? You know, he's your main man going forward. So um, for me, no, I don't think Spurs have improved more than Chelsea and United. And, and he, I would even go as far as to say as they may have may have taken a step backwards in on that front. They, they haven't kind of kept up with those teams. And I, at the moment, I can't see Spurs making the top four, I'm afraid. Yeah, um, I mean, as an Arsenal fan, I'm contractually obliged to say that, no, you're not going to make the top four. Um, <laughs> if it makes you feel but, any better, that's also the truth. Yeah, I mean, putting that aside, um, I, I think Jay's made some very good points there in terms of who strengthened. And, and I, I have seen Spurs, Spurs games this season, and they do look like they're capable of playing good football, but that's not a surprise under Poch. It's just whether or not they've got the steel to get the results as and when they need it. Um, and also, with all due respect to Coy's underscore U underscore S, don't want to make an enemy, but I don't I don't think you can say yet off two games that United and Chelsea are weaker. Um, I think two games is a bit early and, I, and short-termism in football is a bit of a bugbear of mine anyway. There are still 36 matches left. Um, and I still expect Manchester United and Chelsea to be comfortably in the top four come the end of the season. Um, the question, I guess, is 
who else is there with them. It's probably going to be the same top four as last season. I'm keeping my fingers crossed as it will be, maybe in a slightly different order. Um, but if anybody's going to challenge them, I can't see one of those sides being Spurs, I'm afraid. Um, I don't really particularly have a, an issue with Spurs. I, mean, I should have. I'm, I'm well aware of that, but I don't. Um, I just can't see them. I just can't see them breaking into the top four. Yeah, I also unfortunately can't really say that we're that close to being in the top four. Um, so yeah, in a word, no. Manchester United have looked awful, but also have five more points than us, and they won't be awful for long. Um, Memphis Depay showed midweek that he's found his, his scoring boots, and that's a terrifying prospect considering his pace and trickiness. Um, Chelsea are still fully capable of winning the title and have just added Pedro, who's only won, you know, like a trophy or 20 at Barcelona. Um, Hazard and Fabregas won't be this bad throughout the whole season. Uh, Costa will eventually spend more time putting the ball in the back of the net than complaining about fouls that haven't happened. All of that will eventually turn around and and both of them will, will come around. Both of them will finish above us. I probably have it right now City, Chelsea, United, Arsenal for my top four um, but I think the gap is pretty large to Liverpool and then I'm a little worried the gap is large again to, to Tottenham I just I just don't think this is this is the top four year, I've said it before, I think this is the building year, where like I just mentioned, we brought in Del Ali you know, we still have Ericsson and Lamela and we held on to Kane and now we brought in Kieran Trippier and, and Kevin Vimmer all of whom are very young we do kind of have this core of uh, Dembele and Jan and Loris, who have a little bit shorter time frames, but you know everybody else is incredibly young, and we're we're really building towards the future, which is something that Pochettino mentioned today. That you know we're not trying to hold ourselves to any season expectations because the goal is to become a top four club and eventually win the Premier League, which I intentionally left out of my notes because I didn't want to open us up to that kind of criticism. <laughs> but there you are. Um, so yeah, I don't think this is the year. I think next year is the top four or bust year for Pochettino. I don't think it's actually going to happen next year either. Um, hopefully we'd stick with him through the stadium build uh, and then maybe... Uh, do win the title in 2018, as, as your Twitter name suggested. Um, that would be delightful, but this is, this is not the year for us, unfortunately. Kev, yeah, I, I'm sorry, I, I was just going to say that I, I would go as far to say as um, Liverpool are probably closer to breaking a top four yeah, than Spurs. I'd agree. Um, but I don't think they're particularly uh, close. I just think no, they I don't, are closer. No, no, I think they're closer just with the signings they've made. I think they've made a couple of decent signings. Despite all of their hatred, inexplicable yeah. preseason hatred of him, Benteke is exactly what exactly. they needed. Somebody to it, go bang yeah. in goals while Sturridge is out for half a season. It is. And I would also say the fact that um, some of the teams below are actually closer to catching Spurs, such as Swansea and Stoke, perhaps, mm. uh, rather than Spurs trying to break into the top four. It, I think it's more likely to happen that teams like Swansea and Stoke may well catch you and uh, even even overtake you as you know it's a possibility I, yeah. I just uh, you know I just feel that yeah, it could well prove me wrong I mean there's a good basis at Spurs you know you, we, you know with Kane and build around that and Mason in midfield and you know you got decent keeper and stuff like that and uh, all the world is a good signing for you to be yeah. honest because uh, hopefully that'll shore up the defence so you know I, I remain to be proven wrong on, on that one I really am yeah, yeah I, I think it's more like the, sorry I was just going to say, for what it's worth to you, Kev, and uh, the Coy's Twitter person, um, I would love it if they were right. Like As much as we've all said, 
it probably isn't going to happen. I'd personally love it if uh, Man United or Chelsea dropped out of the top four and Spurs could take over. <laughs> yeah, I, I would also love it. I just think it's more likely that we finish eighth than fourth, to your point, Jay. Um, yeah. But the, the reason why we're going to finish sixth which we always kind of finish in that fourth to sixth range, is because A, we're financially the sixth richest club in the, in the league, uh, and two, we can beat anyone in the league on our day, but we can also lose to anyone in the league when it's not our day. And that inconsistency is why we will not continue to push for top four. For the people that remember the Champions League year, you'll remember the stretch of matches we had to put together to get in uh, against City to, to get ourselves into the Champions League. And that was very fortuitous. And the reason we haven't been back is because we're inconsistent, including the Vondervaart Bale year, where we were in like third the entire season, lost to City, and then our season crumbled, and then Arsenal forgot to lose the rest of the season. <laughs> it, it, it's just how it goes. Is We don't have that level of consistency. And so we will have probably five or six results this year where we look at it, and immediately afterwards, everyone will bring up top four. But it's the other matches, it's the other 33 that are going to be the reason why we're not. Yeah, spot on. All right, and you, you kind of mentioned the mid-table clubs there. Uh, some big clubs coming in with late bids for players, such as Manchester United allegedly in for Sadio Mane, John Stones. Manchester United, as you mentioned, were interested in Kane and Hugo Lloris. Uh, and Steve actually had this question, I thought we should mention it, and he does listen to the podcast, so it's appropriate. <laughs> Which is, do you think the new TV? Yeah. Do you think the new TV payout is allowing mid-table clubs greater leverage to hold on to their players? Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, I, we I, talked I think, about I, Yeah, well, I, I think Palace are a perfect um, um, example of that in a way because this is our third season of Premier League, and because of being in the Premier League for the third season in a row, it's allowed us to buy, spend money on somebody like a buy. Because we finished 11th, 10th, and now we're looking at a point where, you know, what I've said this before, what do we do as a club? You know, a lot of fans are thinking the same in the summer. What do we do? Do we continue to look behind ourselves, which is what we've always done, particularly in the top division, look behind and think, right, 17th place, let the other three go down that are behind us. But this summer was different, and it, it felt different because the club were able to go out and, you know, Kabai said himself that it was attracted to the club by Pardew. Uh, and, you know, it's great to have Pardew on board. And But we still have to find the money from somewhere. And I think that, that money uh, and that increase in, in the money has allowed us to spend such uh, this summer. Uh, you know, we spent some spent big money on Kabai. who's broken our transfer record. We've bought Wickham, which is, uh, you know, which is a big deal as well. Um, but I think uh, as well as that, you mentioned Balassi. You know, if if a, if a offer of twenty million comes in, I think that will make the club think. And, and personally, I think that would probably seal the deal for a player uh, such as Balassi. But I think the other thing is that it makes the Premier League so much harder for teams to survive in from the Championship because of the increase in the money. I, I can't remember what it was. Is it the, the team that finishes bottom of the table gets ninety nine million or something? Is that? I think I I read oh, that somewhere. Yeah, yeah with them. Well. Yeah, I, I mean that that's just incredible. You know that team's going to go down to Championship uh, with a huge amount of money and be in a position to be able to bounce straight back up. Perhaps I w- I, I, I was going to use the word easier. Um, the Championship is not an easy division um, at all. And as I mentioned, Norwich did really well to come back up at the first attempt. But you are likely to see teams go down. 
and more likely come straight back up because of the additional money in the Premier League. And it makes that gap between the two divisions that much bigger. Uh, and I think the three teams that went down last season will probably be kicking themselves um, because you know this was the season to be in the Premier League because of that additional TV revenue. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to dwell on it too much because it's my question. Um, but it was sort of a leading question because I, all I can think uh, is that it must make them stronger because I can't remember this many headlines ever over the course of a summer. Um, particularly, like you said, Kev, about uh, Mane, who's, who's being linked at the moment uh, with United since they missed out on Pedro and um, John Stones with Everton holding out. I think two seasons ago, if Chelsea come to Everton with 25 million for John Stones or an equivalent player. Obviously, John Stones was younger then. But if, if, it, if this had happened two years ago and everyone was the same age, Everton would have taken it because um, they'd have sort of had to because probably John Stones also would have would have pushed for it. But not only is it a case of transfer fees, but it's a case of wages as well. And it means that the, uh, in inverted commas, smaller clubs or the mid-table clubs um, are able to pay higher wages and give people new contracts that they wouldn't have been able to give them two, three, four, five years ago. Um, so I do think it makes them stronger. I think it will make for, in the long term, a more competitive league. And I'd be willing, following your conversation earlier um, about Balassi and Spurs, I'd be willing to say that if Spurs came in with a £20 million bid for Balassi, I'd bet one whole English pound that uh, Crystal Palace would hold out for more. Um, because they have the power to do that now. Or they could just go get Redmond, <laughs> which, which would be a doubling up on this this concept. Mm. Um, yeah, I absolutely think it, it's working, and I think a huge testament to that is our keeping of, of Kane and Lloris. Um, as much as we would hate to admit it, you know, we're not finishing in the top four, which means we are in the middle of the table. Um, and we're used to kind of losing our star players. And I know Kane has said he wants to become a Tottenham legend and he's not going to leave. Give him a couple of years. <laughs> Let's see if that's still <laughs> how he feels. Um, Hugo Lloris and his wife have said many times how much they love uh, living in London. And whether or not that's why he stayed or not is fine. But if, they, if Manchester United had come in with an offer that we felt was reasonable, you can rest assured that Daniel Levy would have packed them on their way. Um, and so the fact that we aren't in a financial situation where we need to let them go, I think, is is a massive uh, statement on how much money is just kind of floating around at the moment that we could turn down that kind of money. I mean, Everton turning down $30 million for John Stones is insane. It really is. Um, but, you know, it, that's just kind of the era we're living in. Whether or not Manchester United actually put in that £50 million bid for Kane, I, as a fan, I, you know, this is controversial, but I'd say let him go. I mean, one season... For fifty million, I, 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 the only reason why I'd hesitate on that is because our buying history isn't that great. <laughs> uh, like maybe we'd squander it, and then that wouldn't help us much. But yeah, I, I definitely think that that's a contributing factor, uh, and that it's a very good thing for the league because now you don't just have players leaving all willy nilly. I mean, sure, Klein left to go to Liverpool, and we've we've had a couple other intra Premier League deals, but none of them were were staggering or or kind of those deals where you feel like somebody's robbed someone. They're, they're all kind of being overpaid, like Sterling the City was nuts. Uh, and I, I think we'll see more of that in the future. Mm. But, it, but is, it, is it making the league better, though? Because 
you're you, it's kind of making it as I mentioned earlier, making the gap between the Premier League and the Championship that much bigger. You're you're kind of making it a bit more exclusive because teams you're not going to get the mixture of teams having a shot at the Premier mm-hmm. League. And who's to say five well, I mean, years? Three time? of them are going to do it every year, though. Uh, every, oh yeah, uh, yeah, every year. But then you're gonna. Uh, I can quite see a cycle going that that'd be the three teams that are relegated a couple of seasons before coming straight back up. Mm. I just feel like five years time, would Bournemouth have ever had the chance to come up into the Premier League? I just feel with the additional revenue in the Premier League, not not that I'm complaining about it, but I'm there. But I'm big on grassroots and seeing different teams having a chance to play in a top division. I do wonder whether that might be the end of seeing teams such as Bournemouth rise to the Premier League because. Uh, yeah, because of that reason, the gap's just so big. Yeah, and I realize yeah, that, Sorry. No, you go, you go. Uh, I'd, I'd agree that it makes that bottom part more concerning. But as you mentioned, like, if you're talking about that group after fourth, like, mm. you were the one that brought up that, you know, maybe Swansea's in there now, maybe Stoke with exactly. all of their signings in there now. Mm. So I do think that that makes the league intrinsically better. Is it more mm. diverse? No. But for me, no. it would be better. That's a fair point. Um, what I was just going to say, another question for another day, but is this a reason to feel sorry, a little bit sorry for Arsene Wenger? Because if this football, if this TV money had come along while we were trying to pay for the stadium, would we have had to sell all the good players that we did that saw us drop out of contention? Mm. So it's all come a bit late for Wenger, I think, but um, but at least it's here now, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. That's a fair point. <laughs> No, it's yeah, a, no, I, I think it's accurate. I just don't feel that bad mm. about it. <laughs> Cheers for support, Kev, after I've said that I want you to come above Chelsea. Oh, well, touche. I also want you to reach... Oh, do I? I don't know if I can reciprocate <laughs> that. I'll, I'll have to think about that. I, I think I do, because one of the reasons we hate Arsenal so much is that there is a ground level of respect for the way you've done it. So mm. in that regard... I prefer the way you do things versus the way Chelsea do their things. How about that? Is that? I appreciate that very much. However, guys, that, however, that's a really good point in that Steve just made is that while Wenger had to kind of cut down on the transfers he was making and losing players while they had the stadium built, and that's you've come out the other side, Tottenham are going to go be going through that soon, but obviously be gaining more money for that. So yeah, yeah. So I guess we don't really need to speculate. We'll just see in 2019. <laughs> just see whether or not it worked for us any better yeah alright and uh, we actually mentioned some of the, the relegation candidates there while mentioning kind of that gap that may develop at the bottom of the table uh, last question we have in is via an email from Jeff in Kansas of all places and he asks who do we think is going down this year good question um I personally, everybody's favourites this season are Bournemouth to stay up and they haven't started well, you know, two games, two losses. I was expecting them to beat Villa on opening day, um, but they didn't quite, they didn't manage it. Um, narrowly, can I say, cheated out of uh, any points at Liverpool. Um, it, it, yeah, felt, know, it felt like they deserved something. Yeah, I know Brendan Rodgers said after the game it was a goal, so I don't really care. Um, that 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 was his view. That was his insight into the uh, technical aspects of the game. There, um, I, I personally, I think Bournemouth will be one of the three. Unfortunately, I'd love to see them stay up. Um, they've made a few signings, but I don't think they've got enough about them for the whole season. 
um, and they haven't started well. I think the important thing was for them to get off to a good start, whether it be a win on opening day and uh, and even a loss at Liverpool, then they'd have probably have taken that. Um, I think I, I liken them a bit to Burnley last season. They won a lot of friends in the Premier League, um, but ended up didn't quite, uh, or they didn't do enough to stay up. Um, to go with them, I think Watford will go. Um, they've looked okay to start with, but as the season goes on, um, I just wonder whether the, it's, it's the same old question about Premier League know-how, isn't it, in the top division? And uh, what with a foreign mar- manager there, I'm, I'm clutching at straws a little bit, but I, I just find it hard that they got rid of the manager that got them up to the Premier League um, and, and whether they've tried to improve um, and they've brought in a lot of foreign players. It, you know, may, Maybe I'll be wrong, but I've got a feeling that Watford have joined Bournemouth I think it might be Sunderland's year to go down and join them. I, they, they've started, they've started terribly. Um, they've started their poor form sooner than they normally do. It seems to be an annual cycle, doesn't it, with Sunderland? In that, um, you know, they, they start average, get worse, sack the manager, get a manager in who, who manages to save them. I, I do wonder if this is their season to uh, to drop down um, because they've kind of been there and thereabouts the last few seasons and um, nothing about them has really impressed me. I mean, they, they, they haven't particularly made any improvements in the summer. They, you know, they've got rid of a few players, but they've, uh, they've bought um, one of your old defenders, Kev. I um, can't remember his name now, um, but that doesn't... Oh, Eunice Kabul. Eunice, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, doesn't film many Pretty people... Pretty much single-handedly responsible for five of the seven goals they've conceded this year. Yeah, <laughs> my point, exactly. Um, so I, I, I think two of the three that came up will go. Um, that's just my general feeling. Um, I think it'll be a surprise. I think Norwich will probably just about have enough to stay up. Um, you know, I think they showed enough against us, and they certainly showed enough against Sunderland last week. But although Sunderland were very, very poor, I have to say. Um, but uh, yeah, for me, Bournemouth, Watford, and, uh, and and Sunderland. But I think it's going to be another bun fight like it was last season. It really will be. Um, I agree with you on, on two of those. I think it's for the same reasons on Bournemouth. It's going to be difficult for them to stay up. Um, and Sunderland, um, they're just awful. Uh, uh, so uh, two of those, uh, I'd be willing to empty my savings account. Um, having already bet you one pound, I'll put, put the rest of my savings, another two pounds, uh, on those two being two of the three. Um, I think, though... And this is going to be an unfashionable and possibly unpopular answer for the third. Southampton are going to struggle this year. And not, I don't know if it's going to be enough to go down, but I think they're going to be in the fight because I think Newcastle, who are there, they're about to strengthen. Watford have looked good so far. OK, it's only two games, but I think they're going to be canny enough to stay up. Norwich have come back up stronger than they went down. And Leicester and were the other team that was down there last year, and they have started quite well. Well, yeah, Leicester, Leicester looked like a, a team change. And, and, you know, they could fall away. I remember at one point, I think Blackpool were fourth in the Premier League at one point when they were in the league because they had a strong start. Um, so anything can happen. And I'm not saying I want Southampton to go down, but I just think after last season when they lost, you know, the Liverpool contingent. Um, yeah, if they lose Wanyama and Mane, which are kind of the two pressing transfer uh, rumors at the moment, I, I would find it a lot easier to, to agree with you. Well, I, th- I just think that, that there's a lot of players to lose last season and then to lose Nathaniel Klein and Schneiderlin. Schneiderlin, I think, was more important to them than people realise. And the other thing 
Um, am I right in saying, and this is what seals it for me, am I right in saying they've just loaned Stephen Colker in? Yes. <laughs> Stephen Colker, who got relegated last year with QPR two and the relegated two years. the season before with Cardiff. Yep. So that's not a good sign. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I don't want them to go down. I think they're a well-run club, but I just, I, I think, I think they might struggle a bit more this year. And I, and I think some of the other teams that did struggle with strength and people like Villa were looking like they might get, get a few more points this year. So I hope I'm wrong. Um, but, uh, but I think Southampton might be a bit of a surprise struggler. Yeah. Uh, my three, uh, are Sunderland, Bournemouth and Norwich. Um, I, was fully on the Watford are going down because it's QPR all over again. Bournemouth are staying up because they've done things the right way. Train. Going into week one. And now I've fully flipped the two. Um, because to quote my, my co-host on the FPL roundtable, Rob Langevin, um, it looks like Bournemouth will be playing championship football in the Premier League all year. Uh, and so they they will have kind of the ups like they did against Liverpool where they looked good. But I agree with you, Jay. I'm not really sure that's sustainable. Um, and Watford, for all of their sins, uh, now have a whole lot of experienced players that might not have experience in the English top division, but in top divisions throughout Europe. Uh, and while it did not work for a club like Tottenham, as our goal was to make top four, I think it's probably doable that they stay up with a squad like that. Um, Norwich... I, there, there's just not enough about them for me. If Redmond goes, they're definitely down for me. Um, but I, all in all, I'm just not that impressed. I, is Cameron Jerome really going to lead the line for them all year? Uh, if not, is it Ricky Van Wolfswinkel? I, I'm just really not convinced. They're playing Robbie Brady at left back. I, I, I just don't have a good feeling about it. I really don't. And then Sunderland, obviously the e- easy target at the moment. You know, if they don't change things fast, I've said this in multiple outlets, uh, they're going down in 20th. It's just absolutely shocking. I'm covering them over at Flaytaga this year. They're one of the, the three teams I, I picked and was assigned. Uh, and I've, so I've had to watch both of those matches in full, and it, it's staggering how awful they are in defense. Billy Jones is, is... I don't even know how he's a professional footballer, genuinely. I haven't seen somebody get blown by that much, you know, watching two consecutive matches ever. Uh, and that includes what Bale did to Mykon, who had a little bit more notoriety heading into it. Um, I, I know they brought in a, a couple of options to replace him, um, but it's awful. Yunus Kabul has looked horrible. Sebastian Coates has actually looked kind of decent, but he just seems to kind of be stuck with a whole lot of people that don't know what they're doing. John O'Shea needs to come back into that side. Uh, I know Kabul was supposed to be the future for them, but you know, bringing in a 29-year-old that's injured and didn't play the entire second half of last year because he hosted a coup against his manager, maybe not the way to go. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jeremy Lenz has looked great. Defoe will either score or not, and that's the contributions <laughs> that he offers. Losing Adam Johnson to injury has to hurt a lot. Uh, they need to get someone in over there. If Townsend was fit, I think a loan for him might very much help them. Uh, the way he helped QPR on loan. Uh, but I, I don't really know what they're going to do. Is Yanam Villa the answer there? You know, is Lee, Cat, and or Mole really going to be the, the thing that shields that shaky back four? 
there are very few positive things I can say about a club that I had high aspirations for heading into the season, but we mentioned how much all of those other teams have strengthened, and they just have not. Right, and going from all of those horrible Sunderland fantasy options, we're going to go into Player Watch, where we're going to be talking about our club's best fantasy option for this weekend. We'll start with Jay and Crystal Palace. Yeah, I think I think we're going to be attacking again this week against the Villa. So I think that was our downfall last season, that we failed to get through teams that came to defend. And I'm not saying Villa have come to defend because they've got, they bought some decent players in this year. And I think we see a lot, you know, see them being a lot better this season uh, under tactics, Tim. Um, for me, best fantasy option, I'm going to go with Kabai. I think he could have a field day in this one at home um, after he had a confident display against Arsenal. He impressed me a lot. It wasn't just about the skillful passes and, you know, the gentle touches and, you know, the through balls, things like that. It was, he got stuck into the game. Um, he, you know, some real big challenges in the midfield. Um, you know, he wasn't just this, you know, skillful player um, that we kind of expected, to, you know, to add a bit of class into our midfield. He gave a bit of steel as well, which was good. Um, so for me, I, I fancy him to score uh, against Villa, certainly if I don't close him down. Arsenal were very good at closing him down last week. I noticed that a lot as uh, they didn't give him any time in the edge of the box, which is, uh, you know, which is Arsenal did the homework. So that's fair enough. And I'm not saying tactics Tim won't, um, but I think, you know, we're playing a lesser team than Arsenal. Uh, no offence to Villa. And I kind of expect Kabai to run the show a little bit in the midfield. Uh, so fingers crossed for that. Yes, Steve. Uh, yeah, for Arsenal, it's, um, I, is it too simplistic to say Mesut Ozil? Um, no. After his it, it, after his performance against Palace, um, he also played well. He was one of our brighter sparks against West Ham. In spite of what people have been saying about that performance, um, if you go back and watch the match again, uh, he was one of the better players in the side. I just don't think he was complimented by players around him who were as up for it as he were. He was, um, but against Palace, uh, he had a 98% pass completion rate um the vast majority of which were in the final third so he's on form at the moment Ozil and he takes a few of our corners he takes some of our free kicks uh so he's a good bet for a um an assist and second on the list I guess would be Giroud because in spite of the heavy criticism he gets uh his average is almost a goal every two games um so he'll get you goals um so there you go is everybody ready for this? Everybody's going to be like really surprised. Christian Eriksen. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, no way. Um, yes, Kane has scored four goals in his last two matches against Leicester. Combined, not in each. Calm down. Um, and he's likely to do so again. But you know who's probably going to be the one that sets that up? I'll give you a hint. He's Danish. Um, still taking every dead ball that Tottenham ever see. Still creating tremendously, especially if you're in a league that has kind of ancillary stats where you're getting more than just the assistant goal tallies. He's just an absolute monster that's just matchup proof. Especially with Kane testing defenses the way he's doing this year with their focus on him and him kind of pushing that line and pulling defenders to and fro. I've said, you can just cut in my quote of this from like the last three episodes, but that's giving Christian Eriksen a lot of space. And there's not a defender in the Premier League that wants to see Eriksen running at him with space. You just don't want it. You don't. He's either going to create something or make you look silly or draw a foul and then score a free kick from 30 yards. You just don't want it to happen. And he's going to continue to get that space. Um, 
Second option, obviously Harry Kane, because he has such a good scoring record against Leicester. Uh, and so hopefully we'll see that again. All right, uh, we are running quickly out of time, but we will do very, very quick match previews. Jay, Palace versus Villa. Uh, I, I, I think we have another t- attacking display, uh, a good setup again from the start, and I think we'll beat Villa this time. I'm going to go for 2-1. Nice. Leicester versus Tottenham. Tottenham visiting. Harry Kane's going to score. Eriksen's going to assist it. I'm going to go 2-1 Tottenham because we can't keep a clean sheet for our lives. And Steve, Arsenal versus Liverpool on Monday. Yeah, tough one. Uh, first big in inverted commas game of the season. Uh, but we beat them 4-1 last year. And weirdly, as much as Adam Lallana says they have a game plan for Monday, that just fills me with more confidence. Well, I'll tell you the problem. Um, uh, Adam Lallana is involved in it. <laughs> yeah, well, there there is that. So maybe not 4-1, but I'll take one off ours and give one to them. So 3-2 Arsenal. Fair enough. Uh, you did leave out Chelsea City, which I think may have also been a headline game, but that is fair enough. We are now out of time. So if you have any projects you'd like to plug or want to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Yeah, thanks for listening. I'm Jay. I'm editor of the Eagles Beat. Go and check out the site, eaglesbeat.com. It's not just Palace stuff. It's uh, football in general. Uh, Kev does some writing for us, as do a lot of other podcasters, which is great. Uh, also write for stalksport.com, so so check them out as well. I uh, also have an article, uh, a weekly column in the Croydon Advertiser, which is a local newspaper, which is also online. And finally, I've been helping out Palace Fan TV. Uh, they've got a YouTube channel. Go, by all means go and subscribe we're doing some interaction with opposition fans and also doing weekly roundups of games and things like that so there's a few of us involved in that which is uh, which is great fun to be a part of so uh, go and check them out you can contact us on Twitter at the Eagles Beak yeah thank you for listening I'm Steve uh, you can find me at Fine Pub Sport on Twitter Fine Pub Sport on Facebook and FinePubSport.com online um, next week will be the restart of our podcast. It was supposed to be this week, but as I say, we had a slight issue. Uh, and it's good fun. I mean, it's uh, it's not just football, it's all sports. And we have a chat and then we give out some awards to Village Idiot of the Week and Player of the Week and stuff like that. And I think these guys hopefully will attest that it's good fun. It is um, good fun, yes. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, if you're a podcast listener, which if you're listening to this, you are, um, then uh, then check that one out as well. Cheers. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. As Jay mentioned, I write a fantasy piece each week over on theeaglesbeak.com. Uh, might have to change the format on it. And midway through this week's, it'll be up by the time probably that you're hearing this, uh, doing uh, fantasy options at each price point, which as you can imagine now, having uh, two weeks of price changes means that there are very few prices where there isn't a player available. Um, But it'll be over there and there might be changes to it in the future, but there will still be a fantasy article on his site every week from me. Uh, You can also check out blog.playtaga.com to see my previews each week for the fantasy relevance of Tottenham, Crystal Palace, and Sunderland. Uh, You can also listen to the first ever edition of the FPL Roundtable, which comes through your EPL Roundtable stream, or you can uh, go to EPL Index or EPL Roundtable on Twitter to find the link for it. Uh, co-host is Rob Langevin from Rasball, and he, he's excellent, and you will probably enjoy that. Obviously, host this, where you can reach us on Twitter at EPL Roundtable, or you can reach us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com, where you can send us all of your questions. Most Thursdays, we'll be answering listener questions, so if you want to get those into us, either of those ways are the best way to get them to us for us to read them aloud and kind of plug your stuff on the podcast because we'll mention where you are and where people can find you with all that having been said 
It was a pleasure as always, guys. We hope you keep listening. Mm-hmm.